0: All right, welcome back to the Sopranos podcast, everybody. We are here with episode 11, Yamalokyo. Then again, he says, uh, when it comes to backs, nobody knows anything, really. That quote was given by Paulie Walnuts-Waltieri in the middle of Sopranos season one, episode 11, episode title, Nobody Knows Anything, written by Frank Ranzulli and directed by Henry Bronckteam. Well, this is a different episode than A Hit Is a Hit, shall we say. What a turn. <laughs> Whether you like Hit or Hit Is a Hit or not, and we talked about that at length in our last episode. This is certainly something much different here. This is a singular focus. Almost feels like a runaway train. Uh, This episode just gets going and just rolls faster and faster. It's like a growing snowball toward the end of this amazing season of television. I agree. Uh, So let's do what we do. I'm going to go
1: around here. Initial thoughts and impressions on Nobody Knows Anything. I think this episode begins an incredible run of momentum that we're going to see, as you said, Chris, starts here and runs us through to the end of the season. We're a spoiler-free show, so I'm not going to forecast anything too much, but... Wow, what an episode this is. So much happens, the stakes are so high, and the consequences are so dire. One of the thoughts I had while watching it this time around was that um, there's almost a Coen Brothers quality to this episode. I mean to say that in a, a good way. There's a frenetic energy that the episode has. Things go off in different or unexpected directions. Characters' beliefs are questioned. And the consequences of one's actions seem to come down on them almost all at once. It's, it's a really interesting episode, too, because it also seems to exist outside of itself. Like, there is a judgment that is being passed on certain characters, and this is finally that judgment come home.
2: I was smiling when Jordan was speaking, not only because I agreed with so many of the points you made, but you mentioned the Coen brothers. They're in my notes as well. For perhaps some similar reason, there is a story about Joel and Ethan Cohen. I don't know if it is uh, apocryphal, but as I understand it, sometimes when they're working with an original script, what they do is, they figure out who the main character is, what that person is like in their state of nature, and then they figure out the worst possible thing that could happen to that person, and (laughs) then they do it, and that's basically the first act of the movie. (laughs) Now, sure enough, in this episode, which I agree is so intense and powerful, and does lead into the last few episodes in a way that over the past 20 years i feel has become standard for a lot of tv shows your last three episodes are kind of when you throw your guns and everything gets really intense all at once but like this Cohen brothers construct it seemed to me that tony as a depressed gangster who's been in therapy the strangest and in some ways the worst possible thing that could happen to him is to find out when so much is going on and you really need the loyalty and love of your family and your friends He finds out that possibly one of his friends is a traitor, and the insights that Tony has found in psychotherapy start to, A, make more complex the one guy that he doesn't think is his friend, and start to indict his best friend with symptoms and elements of what's going on with Big Pussy that normally would elicit sympathy, Mm -hmm. compassion, and love. And here, even... Induce a kind of empathy because Tony also has dealt with stress and its physical manifestations. But if this evidence points to where Tony believes that it does, then it's a death warrant Mm -hmm. for his best friend. So the way that all of this comes together, this to me is not to say that any of the other episodes that we've talked about or will talk about are any less interesting, this to me seemed an episode made for a deep dive. It's so rich in psychology and the, the characters maneuvering and not knowing, not understanding the full impact. So that was where I was with it, and it made for a very powerful one-hour There are funny moments in this episode, but this episode was bleak to me. I think when we discussed episode... It is bleak. Well, I think when we discussed episode three... Outright dismal. Yeah, we discussed episode three, denial, anger, acceptance. Tony also moves through denial and those stages in different ways in this episode. That episode was bleak then. Fuck that episode. This episode is like unreal (laughs) in how sad it made me. So that's where I am with it.
1: Absolutely. And um, this is also, uh, we're seeing the start of the resolution of a lot of the threads that have been begun throughout the first season. We're seeing more with the feds uh, and all that coming down. We're seeing how things with Livia have spiraled out of control or beyond control and how that affects the situation with Junior. The show is so beautifully constructed that all these threads tie together. And once one string is pulled, the whole thing begins to unravel. So this is, yeah, this is is an episode worthy of, of a deep dive.
0: Tension is there from minute one, just even from the awkward cuts. And they're deliberately awkward. Um, from scene to scene in the first five minutes, we just kind of get this cut to the back of the social club where the arrest is about to take place. Everything is like, you're instantly, the, the direction and the way it's cut together, you're just instantly like, your attention is there. Your, your ears are perked like, whoa, we are breaking out of the, uh, the normalcy that is established in this universe. And things are really going to start ramping up it's 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 so effectively done too it's it's really great we start in the whorehouse which is going to be a set piece for us uh, multiple times in this episode and um we kind of see the cast of characters there and this episode is the swan song for detective vin mccasian
1: uh r.i.p um, vin <laughs> yeah
0: Oof. um heard again this might be his best of the episodes that he appears in john heard appropriately We've talked yeah. many mm-hmm. times about how good of a job he does with this character And he's just kind of watching all this happen and we see that Pussy's having some issues with his back and then we get the gun arrest and then we get this awesome shot over the Junior's shoulder and we kind of see the Bing stage through his glasses. I always love when they do stuff like that with Junior because the character is the glasses. Mm. And um, yeah, let's let's dig in, guys. What's happening here? Uh, What does all this mean? Pussy's arrested. Jimmy's arrested. They
2: got these gun charges. Let's talk about it. The... Setup is perfectly done, as you said. Uh, I kind of think think of this episode in a way, three of a kind, let's go, like three guys and their psychologies and their secrets, of course, and it sets it up at the this high-end brothel, which ends up meaning something. It mm-hmm. means something to Macassian. It certainly means something when that space is threatened, and ultimately... Like, I believe, shuddered. Then it moves into this other space that I loved. I loved that sequence at Bada Bing. Even as they're dealing with federal indictments and these arrests, the scene, the moment felt friendly, even jovial at times. Junior is smiling at the Bing girls. He never smiles at anything. So I felt this quality of uh, comity in that moment that I think is important because over time, these aspects are going to fray. From that tender, warm sequence, we move to this very cold, unpleasant sequence next to the water. Mm. Jun- uh, Junior, no, um, excuse me, Tony and and as always, meeting out of the way. Not a pleasant feel. Of course, the bridge is in the background of the shot. Gulp. And from there, we move into this story. Eventually, the Bada Bing will also lose its luster. Yeah. There's a scene there with Tony uncharacteristically smoking a cigarette, and tending to this little whiskey, uh, the whiskey bottle is nearby because he's so broken up. So we're getting these the sense of these spaces and these characters, and I think from the beginning something is very tense yeah. with it. In well, this even
0: even they even suggest that because Tony has treated MacKazian like like shit just in the way he talks to him right yep. for the whole season, and then they are showing us that something is different this time because MacKazian actually finally has it out like you know what are you gonna to talk to me like that for and, and Tony they have that that kind of tense exchange and Tony's sarcastically hey 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 Vin how you doing what do you got for me you yeah know, just really plastering
1: it on there yeah we're, we have a missing scene in this episode mm-hmm. up uh, on our podcast here we we often bring up kind of the scene that is missing the scene that is missing is that Mackazian brings Tony to his safe place Hmm. we are missing the scene where they're actually invited to this whorehouse. Um, This is not a property that we think that Tony owns or has influence over. This is a place that MacKazian has been frequenting. This is a place that is um, a a part of him. MacKazian has been trying in every single conversation he's had with Tony over the course of this season, I think five total, possibly more, to be a friend to him in some way. He asks him about, you know, the game when he's waiting outside of Livia's, you know, and, and Tony is, is disinterested. This is earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he tries to engage him in ways that are, are friendlier, something beyond their relationship of being a man who has a gambling debt and is now a crooked cop just serving Tony and to trying to, to get him on a level of friendship. We learn later that Vin McKazian very much thought of Tony as a friend. It is just really sad to see the character go down the way he goes down.
0: Well, like you said, Jordan, uh, you said this. I think when we did episode four, maybe six, one of those up early Vin McCasian episodes that John Hurd was cast for a reason. This isn't—he is a disgusting, gross, degenerate cop. But this is somebody who went wrong. This isn't somebody who just kind of came up in crime and. And, you know, has lived his whole life as a scumbag. This is somebody who had a lot of things go wrong in his life that led him to this point. So there might be a certain friendliness or decency to him that has just been eroded by his interactions with Tony. And he keeps trying to kind of find some kind of connection with him. He, he, he says, you know, I do a lot of risky shit for you. Um, yeah. And we we see that this is there are emotional stakes here for this character. Absolutely. Clearly. Clearly.
1: And in true... Again, Cohen Brothers fashion. McKazian's moment of greatest need in his life is going to come at the same time that he has to tell Tony the worst news he's ever heard, that Big Pussy is wired for sound. Mm. And now Tony must deal with this. And it is absolutely an instance of also kill the messenger. The messenger will die in this episode, not as a result of delivering that news, but because no one has intervened mm. uh, in the course of action that leads to his death. His safe place, his under the bed that was that whorehouse... Is gone from him.
2: Tony also, in this scene, as we've pointed out so many times, Mackaysian has seemed to do some kind of outreach, even if it's small. Like, as you mentioned, the football game, Tony usually passes it off. And I think in this episode, he says to Mackaysian, We've been over this. I don't give a shit about you, your family, or whether or not you take it up the ass. <laughs> Interestingly, Tony's disinterest and his utilitarian perspective on Mackaysian will inform. How Tony ultimately comes to the realization he can't naturally mistrust this guy. Mm -hmm. He can't. It's way A, way too serious a situation. B, all of Silvio's later avowals that he must be corrupt. Tony very shrewdly points out that doesn't make him a liar. It also points to, as Jordan pointed out, ultimately why, in a way, MacKazian seemed to like Tony. Because Tony was straightforward, even if Tony was straightforward in the way to saying, I don't give a fuck about you you knew where you stood. Yeah. And that's the, that's the bitch of living in this episode. Where do I stand? Mm. And when it comes to backs and who is backing you up, nobody knows. Yeah.
0: And uh, that brings us into that scene. I, I, my note here for this scene, watching uh, Tony ask Puss to move the piano and then having Chris and Pauly do it, is that he really is a good boss. He, has, he exercises a lot of very effective cunning. In um, these episodes, he gets he he he's doing all of this to ascertain information. Nothing he's doing is by accident, and you know he gets a little more overt the more desperate he gets later on in the episode to find out the truth. But you know, just little thing. Hey, Puss, help me move this piano. You know, who's gonna question that? Puss says no, and he gets Paulie and Chris like, hey, keep an eye out on Pussy. Something's something's not right here, and then gets of course much less comforting and you know more discomforting information from Polly that uh, supposedly this back thing is all bullshit. Yeah.
1: So this uh scene with the piano happens at the soprano's open house party. Have you guys ever heard of something like this? What the fuck is this an is open rich house? People stuff I have never no Yeah, idea this what is I, some kind of status they thing or I do. Yeah, a yearly open house. They say specifically it's a thing they do every year. Livia refuses to come uh results in Carmela going to bring her a ragot pie we'll we'll get into that in a moment but i was like what a what an odd thing i it, it did give me pause i was like who has an open house i guess when you just have a really nice house you're expected to do that mike my, my guess is
0: they have rich friends with nice houses and they have a, i don't know i've never been to this i've never heard of this i don't have the kind of money the sopranos do my thought is carmella probably changes up decorations and is always getting new furniture. So, like, once a year, you just kind of invite everybody over, like, oh, look what we've done with the place. Right. <laughs> or just come enjoy the beautiful house we have, because it's nicer than yours. <laughs> I, don't, I, I
2: have no idea what it
1: is. Sure. And uh, what are
2: the underling gangsters going to say? No? Right. Exactly. I'm not coming. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I'm just wondering, if it is true, if it is true that Pussy is wearing a wire, do we think he's wired to that party? I
0: hadn't thought of that. I have a great question there. It is a great question. Uh, I, I would imagine he'd have to be.
1: Right. So what is Tony looking for when he asks, hey, come move the piano? I guess he's trying to see is his back really as out as he thinks it is. Yeah. And let's ask the bigger question here. Is Pussy's back out in this episode, do we think? Or is he wearing a wire? Is he trying to cover up the wire with the back injury? That seems to be sort of suggested as a possibility.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, much like the characters, we don't really we're never we're never really have it confirmed. I imagine we'll get into this more when we hit on the scene at the Schwitz with Paulie and and Puss later on. But Pussy's a cunning gangster too, and we have to look at it from both perspectives. If if Pussy is wearing, if Pussy is not wearing a wire, then his back is legitimately fucked up, and he's just being honest with Tony. But at some point in this episode, Pussy catches on. At least that's my opinion. That- he
1: he has to because Tony, as cunning as he is, is overt. Yeah. Is there something you want to say to me? I mean, come on! What other way he is says, there to says "friend"
2: that? three times in one line. Yeah, I mean, that's got it. I think, I think that's. I think you guys are quite right in some suspicion. What I felt, and I took this note down at the near the end of the episode. I think Pussy might have run, being tipped off by Tony's visit, because he realized Tony was fishing the same way Tony realizes that Jimmy is fishing. Mm. Later in the episode, Jimmy got out, but Jimmy's lines seem to they, they're too signal happy. Oh yeah and i think so junior junior sorry tony is tipped off i think basically the same thing happened in reverse yeah we're dealing with very cunning
0: perceptive guys here and this is a delicate situation because we have the uh, the othello situation it's like i want you to see it you, you you need proof with your eyes and alluding to our title here the malocchio the evil eye there's a lot of eye references in this episode. I want you to see it. He says that to Pauly three times. I want you to see that wire strapped on his body. I want you to see it. Uh, when Pauly comes in later to to kind of follow up on what Tony orders him to do in that scene, he says to him, uh, you know, be honest with me, and if you lie to me, may your mother die of cancer of the eyes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, so specific and vivid and, and brutal. I think McKazian tells him to take the blinders off. Take the blinders. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. it's all over.
1: Yeah, okay. absolutely. Also, this idea of il uh, the maloik, uh, you, you put that as a curse on someone, mm-hmm. right? Gave me the maloik. I feel like I have the maloik on me, uh, Pussy says at the party. Uh, is it at the party scene? I think it I is, I think it's right? at
0: the scene when Tony brings him the canola.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. So that's, that's in that scene then. Yeah, it's this idea of being cursed in some way. We have two, perhaps, cursed characters, maybe three, maybe more than that. Uh, Pussy seems to feel cursed. Whether he's wearing a wire or not right now, that actor is sweating up a storm and feels pressured. Uh, And all of his scenes are very tense in this episode, no matter who they're with. Vin McKazian is cursed. Vin McKazian will take his own life at the end because he feels his life is more cursed than it is worth living. Tony is cursed because he has to make a difficult decision. It feels like there is something watching them. That's why I brought up the Coen brothers just in the beginning. There's this sense of judgment personified just kind of existing that... All of our actions, no matter how insignificant, have consequences, and it can feel like a curse. Uh, Even the um, thing with the feds, right? Uh, There's a big thing in the Coen brothers' work that any ill-gotten gains will eventually uh, punish the person that reaped the benefits of them, right? They kill the Colombian gentleman at the beginning of the previous episode, A Hit is a Hit. We now see the consequences of that happening with the federal uh, crackdown on Tony's operations and the family's operations in this episode. They, you know, reaped those benefits. That cash went and did something for them, but now they have to pay the price. There is a direct correlation there.
0: Let's go for a moment here into this uh, awesome scene with Olivia and Carmela right in the middle here. <laughs> this is uh, the regatt
1: well, pie. Yeah, this is one of
0: two Olivia scenes we're going to get in this episode, and they're both extremely important in the development of this uh, character and in the story we're telling here. Uh, first of all, just I laughed out loud at the way she answered the door without a word, <laughs> and then just turned around and walked back in. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. hello, <laughs> you know, Carmela Astor Mark. Well, hi, Carmela. I can't nice have that.
1: You. It has cholesterol. I made it with the low-fat cheese.
0: Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> just a can't, win. Every, can't win. Can't no, win, Olivia.
2: Nope. 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 You must be really bummed out if you're turning down a caught pie from Carmela Soprano. Uh, yeah. I have How family. Sucker for that. I have family that makes really nuts for pie,
0: and I mean, I can't imagine any circumstance under which I would say no to a oh my God pie. I like forgot anything. <laughs> yeah. It's such a luxurious cheese. So yeah, let's talk about this scene. Uh Livia is just a black hole of misery.
1: Here. She is.
2: She's just just oozing negativity, and, and and it seems important as you just framed it out there that. She's a black hole of negativity because it seems that Carmela, it's important that she tries several times mm-hmm. in the scene. Did you guys notice to, to elicit something, trying to even take her side? Oh no, I didn't mean anything by everything with you and Junior. There's nothing wrong with companionship. There, there was no, it, didn't, it seemed like there was no getting to her. Mm. It's a bit of a
1: sword fight between the two. I mean, Livia reads all of Carmela's behavior. Carmela tries to approach her, as you said, Paul, in a number of different ways in that scene. There is a scolding way, you know, there is a cajoling, there is a comforting, there's a trying to find common ground. Ultimately, Carmela says, look, uh, you're his mother. You're larger than life, uh, is my favorite line in that scene. She's trying to import uh, to Olivia that... uh, her role in Tony's life is still so significant, no matter how she feels in terms of being like allegedly "quote unquote" abandoned or shuttered away at the nursing home, that she still looms large in Tony's life. Carmela is trying to get her to understand that anything Livia says and how she makes Tony feel, uh, Tony, how she makes Tony feel, has a big impact on on his life. Um, and Livia, I think, actually already knows that. Yeah, and it's interesting. What
0: makes it even more sad to me. Is look there's a lot of gray area with this character Tony Soprano. That's part of what makes him so interesting. He's 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 likable, but he's despicable. He's good, but he's horrible. He's you know is he a good father? Remains to be seen. I guess Jury Stout is he a good husband? Probably leaning more toward no than yes. But there are moments. You know what I mean? I will say one thing definitively about Tony Soprano. At least at this point in the series, he's a good son. Mm -hmm. He's a good son, Olivia. He puts her up in the nicest retirement home in, 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 in New Jersey, which again, yes, it's a it's it's he's speaking through money, which is what he knows how to do. But it's not just that. I, I noted the scene I wrote Tony is a good son, and that scene where he comes to, to check on her. He's like, I, I know she hasn't been doing well, I brought her some CDs. He has no reason to do that. No, he was gonna yes, he's telling her that he sold the house, but like if nothing else,
2: Tony Soprano is a good son, and it is just lost on Livia. And the, the storyline... I think that's very well put, Chris. The storyline with Pussy, I think, over time... At the beginning of the episode, the open house happens... Actually, I would suggest some progress in Tony's understanding of psychology. When Carmela mentions it, and Carmela seems to lie about it later... She's not coming to the open house. Tony doesn't care. He's like, it's called negative attention getting. You're being too nice. But then everything happens with Pussy and with the house going through... I'm sure if Livia had been there... Tony would have given her the CDs, told her about the house, and wanted to paint it in the best light. But she's Livia. Of course she would have been upset. And the Mario Lanza stuff, hes going to he wants to try to cheer her up. He's so legitimately bummed in that scene. And that, there's a fun line in that scene where he says, of Mario Lanza, these half-assed tenors can really do the trick. <laughs> um, and if Pussy is singing to the feds, somebody that high up. He's not a half-assed anything. This yeah. is trouble. I made this connection watching this. Uh, she
0: begrudges in Down next. she begrudges him his Christmas gift or his birthday gift. I forget which one. The electric organ. Like, she doesn't want to hear about the stupid electric organ anymore. He lavishes a gift on her, however big or small, in almost every scene he has. Always there, brings her, it's always the, the first offering. Time always an see,
1: offering to yeah, the mother.
0: The first time we see these characters together, he's bringing her a CD player. She mm-hmm. hates it. She doesn't want it. The cookies, the macaroons, she doesn't want it. Leave it for the lunatics. He's always lavishing gifts on her, which is uh, cynical as it is and money-related as it is. It's a thought, and Tony is really always putting forth the effort here, and it's just fruitless. So is Tony a despicable character for many reasons? Yes. Is he a cold-blooded murderer? Should he probably be in prison for the rest of his life? Yes. But if nothing else, this guy is a good son, and that's what makes this relationship
1: with Livia so tragic to me. Sure. Livia's also... The character, Olivia, is some actress. Uh, we get it from the woman who runs the nursing home that actually she has a bit of a social life. Mm. She attends aqua therapy. I didn't even know my mother owned a bathing suit. <laughs> uh, you know, she's out there. She's doing stuff. She has a life. But she must constantly communicate to Tony and Carmella that she feels abandoned, that she's having a miserable time. As far as I can tell from the show, they're constantly over there. Tony's there all the time. Carmela's there all the time. Uh, We know that AJ goes over there. Obviously, she has frequent visits from Junior. She has friends in the community. She's not disabled, particularly. She could have a happy life if she wanted one, and Tony has made uh, such overtures to her. She might have a happier life than we actually get to see on the show. Mm. Because anytime we see Livia, she is manipulating someone in some way, or she is acting to get a response in some way. Let's take a look at the scene that we don't see. I think Livia is actually kind of okay at the nursing home. I think she has things she does. She has activities. And I think contrary to what she says to Carmella in that scene, she has friends. Friends? What friends? She has friends.
2: Hmm. These points are so good. And I want to move with the scene with Livia and Carmella and relate it to the next one. They're kind of twin scenes. They happen right on top of each other. Carmella going to see Livia. Then Tony goes to see Big Pussy. Near the end of the scene with Carmella and Livia, she says, Tony would rather die than see anything bad happen to you. And I thought of something I think Jordan said when we just did episode 5, because it cuts to Tony knocking on the door at Pussy's house, and I remember Jordan saying, Tony is death come knocking. Mm. And I remembered is. that. And so both of these scenes, I think, have characters going for a visit that has some kind of fishing expedition or ulterior motive. They show up with goodies, because that's what an Italian person does. They show up with the overture the offering. And uh, both scenes also have us dealing... I think Tony's sympathies, as Chris mentioned, are very important in this episode because of what he's feeling for different people. His mother, of course, Big Pussy, Vin McKazian. but the And these characters are suffering in different ways, but so much of Livia's suffering seems self-imposed, self-involved, resentful of others. Pussy is like Dreadfully concerned about his kid at his own expense. This kid, ki- what well, he goes to Villanova, right? Good school. He could always go to state school. No, this kid is staying right where he is. He's not getting fucked because his old man is. So, pussy, imagine that love and that devotion to your child from another antisocial character who should probably be in jail, Livia doesn't give a fuck about anybody but Livia. Mm. And yet this character, Pussy, who elicits so much more sympathy could be on the chopping block any minute. So that's that kind of intensity, I think, that we're talking about in this episode. I want to mention something here, Paul, because you
0: said it before we started recording when we were just
2: kind of chatting. And
0: I, I, I agree with you fully. I'm always... I struggle to... You know, put my act because I'm an actor. I struggle to put my acting lens aside sometimes to look at other elements because I'm always looking at the acting. And I wrote, I had the right that this scene between Pussy and Tony is just beautiful scene work. These actors are killing it. And I did want to just take a moment to mention that this is really the first time uh, in the show that a lot of these, let's say, not classically trained actors step up. Vincent Pastor and, and Tony Sirico, I mean, these guys really step it up here and become not only this to me is when these characters like Pussy and Paulie and even Silvio to some extent become like mainstay characters in the show as this episode uh and the acting going on is just great the we'll get to it but the it's fucking Jimmy scene is masterclass work it's it, 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 it's a beautiful scene work beautiful acting from these guys and these a lot of these guys are street guys Tony Sirico has been in prison several times
1: <laughs> you know Really well said, Chris. I will mention that uh, these characters, even though we we know that they're all capable of murder, that they are in fact murderers, we've seen them do violence to others in past episodes, but we haven't really seen the intensity uh, in which they talk about violent acts or about betrayal or about these kinds of things in this way. Um, for me, they are at like their sort of peak of grim gangsterism in this episode. We've had it previously where they will discuss you know uh, whacking someone where they've discussed the retribution that they will deliver to uh, you know a coach Hauser is that his name yeah uh, you know uh, but, but this this is much more serious suddenly and just the the, um, the sort of ghastly sort of ghoulishness of them uh, is is actually really remarkable I mean they they all have this really dark presence in this episode
0: well they're animals. They're backed into this corner. We haven't seen the stakes this high yet in The Sopranos. This is the highest the stakes have been to this point, and we're not even at the finale yet. Anybody you hear from the mob, Henry Hill, you know, any of these guys who have broken free of the mob and talk about that life, there's never, there's so much paranoia, and we really see it on display here in this episode. These guys can't relax. They can't trust their best friends. Who can you trust? Who's the rat? Maybe Jimmy and Pussy are both rats. Nobody knows anything. Right.
1: Up until this episode, Pussy has been a very relaxed character. Mm. Typically, he's been like sort of the most relaxed in many respects, mm. you know? Um, giving advice to Christopher, the jokes that come easy for him. Just a fun loving, fun guy. Calming Paulie down when he's pissed about coffee. Yeah. We're we're used to Silvio and Paulie having some kind of freak out. We're not used to watching Pussy in emotional peril for a long period of time, and it really makes us as the viewer suspect Paul uh suspect Pussy.
0: Let's get to this uh, scene where Paulie gets uh, Pussy to the Schwitz, the locker room
2: scene. Uh, yeah. Great scene. Mm-hmm. Um, another a master class in.
1: Literally in, trying to get him in some hot water. Oh. Yep. Uh,
2: Schwitz uh, meaning sweat in Yiddish right? Yep, mm-hmm. that's correct. Very good, Paul.
0: Yeah, so they have the scene and Paulie's trying to get him to take his clothes off. And this is, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I think Pussy has caught on already. I think just. Well, he didn't
1: yet. Yes, for certain
0: <laughs> right that's that's just it if he didn't catch on in the scene where Tony comes over talking about how good friends they are he certainly I imagine gets it by now I mean pussy came up in this life he knows what's what's being asked asked of him here and he reacts accordingly and in such a way that it makes it hard to determine for us the viewer is he wearing a wire here Again, not acting on any future knowledge past this episode. That's right.
1: I'm going to ask each of us now to answer this. Looking at this with new eyes, pretending you are a new viewer to the show, what do you think of Pussy in this episode? Just as as the viewer, do you think he's wearing a wire based on what we find out? I think the fact that we know, at least from Debbie's
0: perspective, that he respected Tony shows that Vin wouldn't lie to Tony about this. uh, Because Vin respects honesty if nothing else, from Tony. He appreciates Tony's honesty, and that's an important phrase in this episode, honesty, in an episode about betrayal, because somebody knows that Pussy's wearing a wire. So in a way, that kind of vindicates it for me, Hmm. because he wouldn't have lied to Tony about it, as Silvio suspects he did. Mm -hmm. Right. Paul, what do you think?
2: I also am taken with a lot of the imagery in those scenes. Another thing that... When Silvio and Tony meet in the Bing parking lot, Silvio's basic formula for it is that it's been discovered that and among other things, among other debts, I'm sure, owes money to Big Pussy on football
1: yeah. or something. 30 grand. Yeah, quite a lot.
2: So Silvio, th- Silvio, who emotionally is so ready for this not to be true and eager and doesn't want it to be true, latches onto it. Tony, one of the reasons I will always like him as a character, he's shrewd. He knows that that's not comforting. Mm. Or it's cold comfort. And when Debbie talks to Tony in the scene after MacKazian kills himself, she essentially says when Tony asks that McKazian didn't really give a shit about any of these guys. Yeah. So it kind of gives the lie to what Silvio says that something in this is personal or McKazian is out to get XYZ. The other thing, just from a structural perspective, the scene where it's fucking Jimmy, but then Tony doesn't know, is Pauly lying to him? because Polly followed Pussy out of that locker room, and it didn't look good to me. <laughs> Why don't any of these characters feel better? It's all still up in the air, because Pussy has disappeared, they still gotta do something about Jimmy, and as if that wasn't enough, Tony standing by the bridge at the end suggested to me that m- maybe it's the still the not knowing, but I felt like they might have to deal with the fact that Pussy is gone, he might not come back, and that they've lost a friend from the the viewer's perspective
0: paulie could have killed him sure and is lying to tony about it because pussy's just gone we know nothing
1: yeah for for me i have to look at who could be lying and why they would lie certainly when we hear that vin mccasian owes pussy 30 grand certainly pussy getting whacked by tony or one of tony's crew would be good for him but it doesn't feel good as a theory and the episode makes it feel worse Mm. Um, so the big one is that Vin McKazian kills himself, so we're led to believe that he's dealing with far worse stuff than just owing somebody 30 grand. So this is is a guy that, um, is very sad he has little joy in his life and he he ultimately takes his own life um unsatisfied with how his life has turned out and realizing that maybe he's more friendless than he thought now that his safe space of the uh of debbie's whorehouse is gone
0: really effective scene there too by the way where he pulls up on the bridge oh uh, yeah puts on the badge
1: yeah uh so sad really a terrible scene you really you hate to see that um tony's conversation with debbie he's fishing he wants to know if anything about pussy was said Nothing about Pussy was said, and it seems like McKazian tells her everything. Shouldn't that name have at least come up? And Tony does ask specifically about Pussy. Mm. Nope, the only one he's mentioned is Polly, because he thinks Polly's a psycho. He's probably right.
2: Um, (laughs) Yeah, not much argument there.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, The characters that have reason to lie are the characters that want it to not be true. Um, Polly has a reason to lie, because he doesn't want Pussy to be the rat. Uh, Sylvia has a reason to lie, because he doesn't want you know uh, Pussy to be the rat. Tony even has a reason to lie and say, hey, so when Jimmy visits Tony's house in a scene that is so obviously a gotcha scene of like, I'm trying to get you to say something incriminating. um, Tony lights on that it it must be Jimmy, probably more because he just does not want to whack pussy than he actually thinks that Jimmy could be the only rat in the family. So that leads
0: to my next question. Uh, This might be a much more definitive answer. Is there any way Jimmy's not
1: wearing a wire here? Oh, that is the worst written scene ever, if, he's... if Jimmy's not wearing a wire. <laughs> you show up at this man's house and ask those specific questions in his basement after just getting out of prison, it's really the most suspicious scene ever. I have no reason what, what the purpose of the scene would be if not to out Jimmy as a rat.
2: It, yeah, I mean, Jordan, you mentioned earlier that the Colombian money from the last episode comes back. Isn't Jimmy, in effect, in that scene, asking Tony to openly discuss conspiracy to commit murder? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's so specific, and we've never seen... Jimmy, in a scene like this...
1: And look how smart Tony is. Catches it right away.
0: Immediately. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say anything. Just kind of shrugs. Nonverbal answer.
2: Something mm-hmm. you can't hear in a wire. Yeah. As they're heading up the stairs, Jimmy mentions going to make his collections because you don't want to let people fall by the wayside, which Pussy was apparently so overwhelmed, physically tasked, that he couldn't do. And Tony says something like, oh yeah, I know what that's like. And to Jordan's point, maybe that allows Tony to put his concerned for big pussy back in the friendly sympathetic compassionate place where it belongs and jimmy's the fucking rat
1: yeah mccasian has asked tony to take his blinders off tony has intentionally made himself blind to the fact that there can be more than one person wearing a wire there's no reason that 320 has to only be on jimmy altieri well doesn't that make
0: it all the more sickening that tony is willing to at least mentally let pussy off the hook because he just doesn't want it to be true, and now he has a scapegoat in Jimmy.
1: Sure, but the bath scene clinches it for me. If I'm Pussy and I've already been visited by Tony and basically been basically asked if I'm wearing a wire, and then Pussy comes up to the to the baths with Polly, Polly's asking him, "Take off your clothes. Take off your clothes. Take off your clothes. Take off your clothes." Repeated, intimidating, threatening his good friend, one of his best mm-hmm. friends, maybe his best friend. I think at that point you have to be even as Pussy. Even if you don't intend on taking off your clothes, you have to address it. You oh, yeah. have to say. You're asking me to take off my clothes because you think I'm wearing a wire. I'm not a fucking rat. And even if you are wearing a wire, you have to have the conversation because leaving and then disappearing is the worst fucking thing that you can do. It's rough. It's, it's a rough situation. Pussy does as good a job as he can.
0: At this point, we, I, just all our opinion, we've all said yes at this point, that we believe more believe likely so. than not. That Pussy is wired up.
1: Just because the show does not give a lot of evidence that it could go another way. All they right. do is offer us Jimmy, but they say nothing about it not being possible that two people could be wired. And they're both gotten in the same bust.
0: Yeah. Pussy does a decent job, given the circumstance, assuming he has a wire on under his clothes, of kind of getting in Pauly's face and still being tough guy. Like, listen, yeah. since stay the Fuck gets right in his face, stay the Fuck, you know, appreciate the, the, the thought. But get the fuck out of my face. Sure. He's, he's reverting into tough guy to be like, you're not going to get me to take my clothes off. Fuck you. And it, it leaves it just, yes, I think you're right, Jordan. If he wasn't wearing a wire there, his answer would have been like, if you're asking me if I wear a wire, why don't you go fuck yourself? And then just unzip his jacket and show him.
1: Right. Or right? if he is wearing a wire, don't show him, but do say it. So at least right. it's acknowledged. Right. You just, know? Yeah. So,
0: but having said that, He does a good enough job leaving it just ambiguous enough that there's question, which, again, ties into the idea of the title of the episode and the whole thing. Nobody really knows anything. The only
2: person in this episode who I suspect knows something is the woman who expressly always says, I don't know anything. It's (laughs) Livia, right? right? Everybody else is like, oh, I have to know something, and they grab it. Maybe it's just around the corner, and then I don't know anything.
1: Right. Yeah. I also was not encouraged by the fact that Pussy hasn't been making his collections. I mean, Chris and Polly, there's a that scene at the party is great where they just talk about what it is to be in the life of being a guy on a crew. That's what you do. You mm-hmm. go around and you make collections. Mm-hmm. Pussy not doing that job puts him in a bad situation with the people he normally collects money from. It makes him look weak. When would you not care if you looked weak? Mm-hmm. You know? Why hasn't he, as Pauly suggested, asked his friends to make his collections for him? Why is he putting himself in such a vulnerable vulnerable spot? This was not encouraging for me because it was kind of like, hmm, when would I want to appear weak? When would I not conduct my business when I don't want to accidentally or intentionally incriminate one of my friends in a discussion that I'm going to be having during a collection, when I'm delivering a collection? You know, the more he stays out of mob life, the less information he's potentially giving to the feds if he's wearing a wire.
0: Hmm. Very good. Let's come back to this. Let's keep plowing through here. Um, I want to talk about, just
1: briefly... And it's hard. It's a rich episode. Oh, you know, there's yeah. so
0: much. We're going to be bouncing back and forth here. We're going to come back to this because it all wraps up. Uh, in a When I say I say wraps up, quote-unquote, you know, nothing gets resolved. <laughs> right. We're racing toward the penultimate and the finale. Um, I'll just quickly touch down on this interesting little scene here um, where uh, the family is eating breakfast, watching the news, and they see the news bust, and they have this whole... Out there, it's the nineteen nineties. In here, it's nineteen fifty-four. I thought this was a nice, lighter <laughs> scene in the midst of a very dark episode. A little bit of a laugh here. We get to see the family all together.
2: Um, I just, I liked this scene. Just wanted to men- mention it. I liked it. I liked it a lot too. Something that I think Jordan mentioned early episode was some of the malapropisms that the characters bring up. Bring up stuff that Jordan's dad and some other older <laughs> people say, but actually deliberately. And I think that, similarly here, Tony, maybe it also reminds me of my dad, is actually at a point where, as a reactionary, I think he's just kind of tired. He doesn't really necessarily feel like having the argument anymore. (laughs) Carmella kind of does, and um, interesting insight for Tony's wife to have. She really wants to see Bill Clinton get his comeuppance (laughs) for using his power for extramarital, uh, extracurricular activities. Um, Tony just... He has this is funny. Light to meadow. Don't you got someplace to be? He doesn't want to hear all that stuff, and he wants to. He doesn't. He actually agrees with her. I think Tony is actually more progressive. Um, that
1: prostitution should be legal, yeah. right? Yeah. Than
2: one might assume, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think sex should be a punishable offense. I think talking about sex at the breakfast table is a punishable offense. He does the nineteen nineties, nineteen fifty four thing. You know, I guess 1954 is when you could go to a high-end brothel with a cop, a gangster, and a prostitute, and America wasn't all judgy. Um, (laughs) So this scene plays out. But this is another interesting thing I gotta say. I think it's deliberate. Tony doesn't have time for the family excesses in this episode. He'd like to. He wanted to take A.J. fishing instead of going to meet McKazian. But Meadow, he doesn't want to deal with her annoying shit. A.J. is kind of pissy later in the episode. Tony threatens to knock out his teeth. So yeah. the way that these things bleed into each other is important. Well, we talked about
0: in our Down Neck episode how how there are some episodes of the show where one of these lives is taking immediate attention away from the other. And Down Neck, the family crisis was diverting all of Tony's attention. But as you said, Paul, this is really the only quote-unquote like family scene we get here where there's not manipulation or, or plot advancement happening here. And... It's funny, but just Tony just doesn't have time for it. He just has to, you know, there might be a universe uh, where, you know, Meadow and Tony could have a conversation about legalized prostitution, but it's certainly not now, not here, in this place and time.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, just a, a funny moment for AJ, too, in trying to grasp the idea of what a bordello is and also calling her Monica Kaczynski. Uh, <laughs> and no one really sets him some straight. <laughs> yeah, AJ's got the
0: Marilyn Manson t-shirt on. Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, Definitely a young teenage boy of that era. Let's go now. It's so funny that in this episode, Carmella tells Livia how large she looms in Tony's life. She looms that large in the series because you think about her. She's such a magnanimous presence that's due in large part to the writing and to the performance by Nancy Marchand. Yet again, she has one or two scenes per episode and she is huge for the show. This is their second scene of the episode, and both of these scenes are massively important. Livia and Junior. Junior has had it. This is his breaking point. This is the final... I mean, this has been building all season. And Livia finally lets go this huge piece of... I mean, how much more... Junior knows at this point, just because of the psychiatrist and the whole the whole Boca episode. Junior's been eating shit for a lot of this season, and he's he's done. He's done eating shit. He he says to her, pained, not not necessarily angry. At t- maybe there there was a time a few years ago. Maybe I would have read this, re- the reading of his line. I have to as as angry, but it's pained. He's yes. like, this is I'm the boss. This is the rule. I can't. I just I actually can't eat this shit publicly
1: anymore.
2: Like Mackenzie, this was the straw.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Olivia is amazing. Think of all the things that she's manipulated specifically through Junior this season. She's. You know, I believe fully aware of her power, but she's inadvertently ordered the hit of Brendan Fallone. Uh, <laughs> she has taxed Hesh. Yep. Uh, she has uh, basically encouraged Junior to seek the head position of the family. And now she is telling him to make war on Tony. Livia's the boss. I mean, she's she's certainly performing that role. Maybe not in the day-to-day operations, but the visionary... <laughs> Behind so many things that happen in this family.
0: Hmm. This is great. This is a great scene. Um, and um, what did we make of Livia's outro in this scene? This 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 drama with the tissue. Oh, what she, did I, I say I, now? I suppose I should have just kept my mouth shut like a mute. Then everybody would have been happy.
2: Yeah, like I think most people don't know what they want to know. And she knows more than she lets on, as I said. But I think also something else that's really interesting about this thread. I, this episode seems to have two storylines. One... Is the big one. Tony, Pussy, McKazian, and everything that threads out from that. The other one starts with Livia calling and saying she's not coming to the open house. And then is disconnected throughout. Mm-hmm. Everybody's playing phone tag. Tony shows up. She's not there. Carmella shows up seemingly on Tony's behalf. I think more her own. And that, that relates to nobody knows anything because nobody is putting all this together. Except perhaps Livia who's got her machinations going. And so for me that's how interesting this concept of the characters not knowing their reality was and the scene with junior and livia at the end is i guess as carmela said textbook manipulations it brought me back to something you said chris in when we discussed Pax soprana how i think the first overture that livia makes to to excuse me junior about taxing hesh is a little too much like the soft soap mm. or too ethereal so she has to go in again that happens again this time because she does the thing about the house and junior interestingly doesn't care yeah. he's like what else are they going to do yeah I mean, what is with actually yeah he's actually in pretty good spirits at the beginning of this visit and then so she she says okay i'll go more overt <laughs> well you know
0: there's a big difference here now i mean to me what 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 cat what what pushes this over the edge is like you said, Paul, he, com- he shows up in good spirits, especially considering where we left him in Boca, right? He was angry at the pie. The- he lost his girl. He lost face with the whole, you know, cunnilingus thing. And I think what pushes it over for him is Junior might even still possibly be willing to swallow all this shit from Tony. The problem here is he's now not just being undermined by his nephew, a family member, a personal thing. Livia's son, he's being undermined by all of his capos. That's very critical difference here. And the underboss of a five families family. Correct. Yeah, the new, Johnny Sack from New York has been
1: meeting people there. And let's give Junior as boss some credit. He's well within his rights here. Oh, okay. As far following the rules yeah. of the mob, he he has to crack down I, big on. I him. agree. He look, has. To, he does. Look have to. at Junior's position. If he's starting to come into the realization of everything that's happened, what Tony has done to Junior is horrible. Yeah. I mean, really, it is. We can take Tony's side. We can have some sympathy for him. And we can even admit that Tony would absolutely be a better boss. Sure. And he would be. Of course. And he kind of is the boss. Yeah. Um, But if this show, The Sopranos, was Junior Sopranos show, we would never abide the kind of behavior that Tony has shown to Junior. Mm. He has put him up as a puppet boss of the family, allowing him to operate as if he's in charge, meanwhile making a fool of him behind his back. He does not allow him to have a certain authority in Tony's house. Uh, he scolds him at the dinner table, um, and Junior takes umbrage to that. Tony has teased him about his relationship with his girlfriend, uh, to the extent of you know making a big deal of it in front of Mikey and Silvio at the golf course. Um, he has, worst of all, put the Capos in a position throughout the season, but especially more recently, uh, where they know that Tony's the boss, and that Junior is fake, and that Larry boy and Jimmy have put their mothers in the nursing home so that Johnny Sack has a place to meet with them out of Junior's purview. This is all really bad. Yeah. The only thing stopping Junior from killing Tony right away is that he has you know, a blood relation to him, and now, according to what Junior has said in this scene, that might not matter. Yeah,
0: it can't matter. Well, something has to give. It's either Junior can't be boss
2: or Tony has to go. There's no other option here at this point. Junior has also, for a couple episodes now, been operating. I guess with, if nobody knows anything, there's sort of a, hmm, a known unknown. Like I don't know what Tony is saying in therapy, but I know he's going, and that's not good either. Mm. So that informs it. And of course, what all this comes, there's another disconnected scene with this weird telephone question of so and so is communicating with so and so. Then this gets passed on, and Mikey has in, in the in-, in the interim been told that we're. This is not. A conversation anymore. We're going forward. Tony's getting whacked. And then he tells his wife, very funny scene with them and Chucky.
0: Yeah, let's get into that scene real quick because we're, we're, we're getting toward the end here. We're wrapping up. Let's uh, talk about this last scene get into final thoughts. This Mikey scene, what struck out to me yes, very funny, and we get a little bit on Mikey and JoJo and, and uh, get a little bit of Mikey Palmisi's home life. Don't know if anyone was asking for it but no. I'm happy with that. I, I regret seeing it. No, I don't. Really. <laughs> uh it's very funny what struck me most about this scene two things one first appearance of a character chucky signore who is a member of junior's crew and kind of uh you know i guess mikey's right hand man you know mikey is junior's right hand man chucky is mikey's kind of gopher boy um he'll be coming back um but the hit is on tony is going down and junior makes the decision we don't see the scene where he tells mikey it's time but Uh, Or Chucky, rather, and then Chucky passes it on to Mike, but we see the the reaction. What's interesting to me, what struck me about this scene is Mikey's hypocrisy of calling out Tony for spilling his guts to a shrink about business that isn't his to talk about in the first place, as he's telling his wife about a mob hit. Yep. (laughs) Just total piece of shit. Fuck this guy, right?
1: (laughs) Mikey just continues to be the worst. Um, I hate the way he talks to his wife, just in general. I also was struck by the environment. Um, Mikey's house is not very nice. I mean, considering what we're used to when we see Tony's house and stuff like that. Mm. Mikey is not like a lower-down guy. He's a made guy. We assume that he's been with Junior for a long time. I think I thought he would have been better rewarded than he has been for being the right hand of the boss of the family. Right. That he and his wife live in a house with a kitchen that looks like that. Mm. I mean... It's still nicer than my kitchen, but uh, what I mean to say is when she says in a frustrated way, oh, God, look, are we still going to Vegas next month? Like, I feel for her. She does not mm-hmm. really, uh, you know, have a have a good life with this man, uh, and that is actually why I regret seeing more of Mikey Pomisi, but, yeah, what a fucking idiot to open your trap and tell your wife.
2: Mm. Did you guys catch the name of their kid? Francis Albert. <laughs> Francis Albert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's what that is what I have to add to the deep dive that um and so well, and so for me, all those are great points. The scene plays funny, which I guess plays against what the context actually is that our main character now has a death threat on him. And then this last shot with the wonderful I forget the name of the song, but a really great Spanish language song about sailing off the edge of the world
0: mm.
2: as Tony stands by the bridge where I believe uh, McKazian suicided, wondering who his friends really are under the weight, in some ways the the burden of knowledge, but also the burden of not really knowing. And we, the audience, know even more. Mm. We know what Tony doesn't know that he doesn't know. That there is a hit out on him. And that plays us out. So that's how intense the build-up to the end here. Um, Another very ominous shot, I thought, was when Tony at one point says to MacKazian, you know, you come in here, you flash the badge, you get free pussy. MacKazian corrects him. That's not what it's like for him. But the final time that MacKazian does flash the badge is to gain access to the bridge. And then puts it on, and the the camera whip pans out to the water, much like the end of the first episode where you see the water in the pool, and he dives down, and as his body falls, you see some water birds. It's an unbelievable set of shots. It's a beautiful sequence. And that
0: last shot of Tony is... uh, I don't know if I had to, like... Make a poster out of one moment in season one it might be this one with Tony and just that the the gross New Jersey scenery and I live in New Jersey I love the state of New Jersey by the way I'm not, not knocking New Jersey but the section of New Jersey near New York where Tony is standing is ugly And uh, there's like a and there you know there's it's no accident that there's this gross fucking garbage barge, uh just kind of passing with a low you know just it's it's discomforting it's ominous it's gross it's and Tony's just looking out forlorn confused, not having any clue where not only his friends stand but where his enemies stand. Any final thoughts on nobody knows anything?
1: Yeah, my final thought is this. This for me was was maybe the most impactful scene for me personally was the final confrontation between Vin McKazian and Tony at Debbie's Whorehouse where Vin McKazian really opens up as you only would to a close friend mm. and says, look, when I was a little boy and my dad was really giving it to my mom, beating on her, they were yelling at each other, he says, I would hide under my bed and I would fall asleep down there and the morning I would wake up and everything would be fine. Now, of course, Vin McKazian's world is literally turned upside down, where his new safe place, the whorehouse, is uh, busted. Um, He's suspended from the Force, something that is temporary, but he has probably lost that safe space, Debbie's whorehouse, forever. Which we come to find out is really the last thing that is tethering him to uh, a life in this world. That is his safety, and now it's gone. Um, Vin kills himself. Tony's safety has been stripped away in a similar way. He no longer has the confidence to go about in the world feeling safe. Maybe he does not know for sure that Pussy is the rat, but that possibility is out there. His world is different. Uh, He's significantly changed by this. His sense of safety is gone. Tony does not know that there is a hit out on his person, but he might know that there are other potential threats in his immediate circle. Things feel like they're closing in for him, and he can no longer just get under the bed and wake up and have everything be okay. Things are not okay. The status on the show has changed.
2: That's a really good framing for the two characters, and that scene also, for me, really stuck out. Uh, I'm sorry, this is a little hard to talk about, but what Vin McKazian describes in that scene, very powerfully, is, is growing up in an abusive household. And it colors, for example, when we saw him beat the bag out of the guy in episode four, and the character could elicit such anger from me. It doesn't let him off the hook, but there's a greater understanding here. Uh, Tony doesn't care. When When Vin starts describing the story, Tony rolls his eyes. He starts to get something about it, I think, as time goes on, and as Jordan pointed out, how this space had become the getaway, maybe the place under the bed where he felt safe. Tony also is losing those spaces, but uh, a similar space for him is therapy, the safe space where he can talk and open up. And I think that it's very important that we're marking this moment where Tony, though struggling with it, though frustrated with it, though in his own way being a beast and a monster in many ways through it, is forced to confront um, other human beings and their interior lives because he can't dismiss an It's not possible, and this issue is too important. So for me, that's another thing that is very important in this episode, is that all 86 episodes of The Sopranos at some level will deal with the question of Tony's personality, his monstrosity, and there's questions about whether or not he's a sociopath and all that. But to me, this show is nothing without Tony having to deal with the realities of the world and his relationships with people and how he affects people. So that aspect for me, particularly as evinced by John Hurd's wonderful performance, and when he talks in that scene, I was very, very moved by it. So that that was where this episode came down for me, was Tony um, coming to some understanding with other people. It's not a happy realization, but it is a human one
0: said Paul thank you Paul yeah I'm not going to say it any better than you guys did so I think we're going to call this one a wrap nobody knows anything but I know that the next two episodes <laughs> are going to be completely bananas I can't wait to review them with you guys guys we're almost done with this season We've got two more episodes left wow. I can't wait to- Isabella and I Dream of Jeannie Cusimano can't wait to break those down with you guys this has been quite a journey we're so happy to be bringing this podcast to all of you out there Uh, I know I speak for both Paul and Jordan that uh, this has been an absolute pleasure for us. Thank you for listening. Please tune in uh, next time for uh, the wonderful season one episode. Isabella, I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time. If you like The Sopranos Podcast, please follow us on social media. At The Sopranos Podcast on Facebook, Sopranos Podcast on Twitter, and The Sopranos Podcast on Instagram. To email us, hit us up at thesopranospodcast at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you don't want to leave a five-star review, don't leave any review. Thank you for listening to The Sopranos Podcast.